Good morning, church family. How's it going? All right, perfect. You can talk back. It's okay. We're, we're a lively crowd this morning. Hey, thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, whether you're on campus or joining us online, I just want to thank you for choosing to be with us today. So uh, as you can see, Craig is not here again. Everybody can go, aww. Right? We're all like, oh man, where's Craig? Well, hey, he is wrapping up his vacation. Uh, probably a little sunburnt, but he's wrapping up his vacation and he's going to be back next Sunday to kick off, or actually to finish off our sermon series called Leap of Faith. So uh, go ahead and make plans to join us then uh, and see him come back. Probably a little few shades darker than he was when he left. So uh, you may, he may come up here looking like a brand new man, okay? Uh, I'm sure after a great vacation, he probably will. Um, so hey, here's what I want us to do. I want us to go ahead and grab your Bibles, get your pen and paper out, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 11. But while you're turning there, I want us to hop into a time machine. Is that okay? Has anybody dreamed of being a time machine before? And so what I want us to do is I want us to travel back in time. In fact, I want us to travel back to a time right around January 1st, 1863. It was around 1863, January 1st, that Abraham Lincoln in his office gave what was called the proclamation, uh, the proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation. I'm so sorry, guys. Good morning, church. Wow. Holy smokes. You know, this is the part I really studied on, you know, to make sure I said this right, the Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, he gave this, uh, you know, he issued this and really was the momentum, the sparking of the abolishment of slavery in the United States. However, when he gave uh, this Emancipation Proclamation, uh, that really it didn't free all the slaves. In fact, as, this, as the word got out, uh, the South, down the South, the slave owners tried to do everything they could to, to really make all the slaves down there uneducated and, and disconnected from the outside world. So they could not find out uh, that their newfound freedom was indeed uh, true. And so for quite a while, there, was, there were slaves down in the South that didn't know that they were actually free. Uh, that they had been liberated, but yet they were still living bound to their past. And, uh, and so for, for some time, the Union kept invading into the South, and they're going and they're going, they're spreading the good news that you've been set free. And, uh, and so this continues to grain, gain some traction. And before we know it, on June 19th, 1865, General Gordon Granger steps, steps on the soil of Texas in Galveston. He announces to the remaining slaves, you are free. Think about that for a second. For two years, these slaves down in the South, specifically down in Galveston, had been, had been considered a slave when their status had been changed to free. That they had been liberated from their past, but yet their past was still being hung over their heads as they remained enslaved, though their freedom had been given. For two years, they were free but yet their owners lied to them and said, you were not. They were free, but yet they still lived as though they were bound. And I share this with you this morning because I wonder how many of us come to church every Sunday morning free, liberated through Jesus Christ, but yet still bound to our past. Free, but yet still bound to the addiction, still bound to the offense, still bound to the life that we used to live. See, a lot of us, we've been liberated through Jesus Christ. We've, we, the sting of death has been eliminated. The grip of sin has been broken, but yet so we still live as though we are still 
bound. Church, hear me out. I'm not trying to make little of this important time in our nation's history. Thank God today that the that slavery has been abolished, but this is an example of how many Christians live their lives today. Though they are free, they are still living as though they have been bound by the enemy. In fact, Louis Gigolo wrote a book called Don't Give, the, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. And he talks about how many of us claim victory in Jesus, but give a seat to the enemy as he feeds us lies and distractions and keeps us from the benefits of our life in Christ. Do you have a seat for the enemy at your table? Maybe you don't think you've intentionally put a seat there, but maybe you've left it open for him just to come in every once in a while and drop that lie and to drop that disappointment, to drop that discouragement. And over and over and over, you walk in here on Sunday morning going, man, I wish I could just find some type of freedom. Man, if I could just hear that song, if I could just hear that message and hear what I'm gonna tell you today, church, is that it's not the song, it's not the message, but it's Jesus Christ alone. He's the only one that sets you free. And church, we've got to learn how not to just believe in our freedom, but then live out that freedom in a present life. See, the Christian life is not freedom from the sting of death later in life, but it's about the, about the freedom from the heavy burden and the tight grip of sin in this present life. Church, are you hearing me this morning? Okay, I'm just making sure you're with me because I think many of us get wrapped up in our sin. We get wrapped up in our discouragement and we're going, man, I don't feel free, but Jesus says, I paid a great high price for you. And so I want to talk about how can we trust God with our past so that we can experience his freedom in our present Life. So Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, if you're there this morning, say a word. All right, perfect. That sounded like everybody was there. All right, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, this is the word of God. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, welcomed the spies in peace and didn't perish with those who disobeyed. Isn't this the best sermon, y'all? One verse this morning. How about that? You're like, thank God we're going to get out early. Hey, I got out probably about seven minutes early in the last service. So we'll be good, y'all. We're going to get you off to your connect groups. All right, so here's the verse. We're talking about Rahab. We've been in the Leap of Faith series looking at men and women who are living out faith in their life. And then we're introduced to this girl by the name of Rahab who is known as the prostitute. Now, many of you are probably going, okay, wait, hold up. Rahab is considered as someone demonstrating great faith. How in the world could someone like Rahab, a prostitute, with that type of label, be considered as demonstrating great faith in the Bible? Well, you wouldn't be the only one, right? In fact, for, for many, many years, scholars have tried to explain away Rahab as not being a prostitute. In fact, they tried to twist and manipulate the original word of God to, to try to somehow say she wasn't a prostitute, so then that way he would not, she would not defile Jesus, because we'll find out that she's a part of the lineage of Jesus. So there's no way she could be a part of the lineage of Jesus, let alone be in the hall of faith and be a prostitute. But when you look at the original language, there's no way of explaining it away. In fact, you would have to basically discard this entire Bible to say that she was not a prostitute because when you look at the original language, she was indeed a prostitute. Now here's where I think the confusion comes in. That a lot of times prostitutes would be held up in a hostel. They'd be held up in a room that they would do their business in. And so a lot of times in the translation, they would be talking about the room that she would be in and, and they would begin to take that and try to manipulate that to say that she was really just an innkeeper, that she was just taking care of a room. Well, she was taking care of a room in a whole nother way, y'all, okay? So I'm just saying that the original language here 
is that she is indeed a prostitute. And there's no way of trying to re-explain that or undo that. And it's important for why we're going to talk about what we're talking about today. You're going, can't watch you just say that. Because I want us to hear what God has to say to us today about our past so we can trust him with our past, even with an unlikely candidate. Like Rahab, God could transform her past. You know, Rahab, her room that she would be in was typically within the wall of Jericho. Now, many of you are going, how do you live in a wall? <laughs> right? In our modern day society, our walls are pretty thin, y'all. Uh, but when we look back at the walls of Jericho, they're wide enough for chariots to travel around to con- conduct surveillance. So they would go around and they would keep guard and keep watch in the wall. And so there's enough room there uh, for someone to have a room in the wall. Now, uh, another reason there could have been a room in the wall was because it was easy access. You know, as people would want to come visit Rahab at night, they can go to the wall outside of the city, outside of everybody else and come and visit her. And so here we have Rahab in the walls of Jericho, and much of her story wraps around Joshua chapter 1 through 6. So if you got your Bibles, go and turn to Joshua chapter 1, 1 through 6. Now really, Joshua 1, chapter 1 through 3, we see the Israelites being led by Moses' successor, Joshua, uh, going into the promised land. Right? So they're going in the promised land and they're demonstrating great faith as they would cross over the Jordan on dry land. They would then reach the walls of Jericho and it's there at Jericho that then they would then begin to have to put their faith to the test again as they would face this big city. In fact, when we read Joshua chapter 2 verse 1, it says that they came to the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. So here they are, they're at the wall of Jericho. The Israelites are coming in. God says, this is gonna be the city that you're gonna take over. Joshua sends the spies in and they go to the house of Rahab, the prostitute. Now, if you go back to what we just talked about, it would make sense for these spies to go to Rahab's house, to go to her room. Why? Well, it's located inside the wall, which was easy access. Visitors would frequent this place often. So there was, this was really a great place to then find information about the city so they could figure out how to invade it and overthrow it and take it just as God had promised. Now, we could say that or we could say well, that God specifically led them there. Either way, there they find them in, in Rahab's home, in Rahab's room, and they're starting to figure out what is this city all about. Now, as they're there visiting Rahab, The king of Jericho finds out that these people from the triumphant camp of Israel has shown up, right? These spies are here to figure out what's going on with the city so we can take it over. And so King Jericho then sends word, hey, I want you to go capture these guys and I want you to kill them. I want you to do away with them so then that way we are not overthrown. And then here's Rahab. Rahab comes back in a story and Rahab takes the men knowing that they're from the tribe of Israel, and she hides them on top of the roof. Now here we have Rahab, who's been used, abused, and mistreated. Her prostitution wasn't just something that just magically came to her mind one day and just said, I think I'm going to be a prostitute today. That much of her lifestyle led to this moment in her life as she's being mistreated by the men of Jericho. She's being mistreated by all the different people in this evil city of Jericho. And she's faced with this decision. What is the decision? Here it is. What does she do? Either I'm going to hide the spies on the roof, not turn them over, risk my life committing treason and probably end my life if the king finds out, or do I turn the Israelites over to the king, probably get some kind of something out of exchange for it, and just continue on with my life? That was her decision. And it's in this moment that she made the decision to hide the Israelites on top of the roof, and I wonder why. Why would she put her life on the line? 
See, at this point, I think Rahab saw hope. She saw hope that in these men, in the Israelite men, that the God they follow, Yahweh, that her past didn't have to remain the same. That her past could be changed because the God that these spies followed, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, he had a record of taking people's past and transforming them into a future. And here they are knocking on her front door and she says, you know what? I know who these men are. I know where they come from and their God can do something in my life. So I'm gonna hide them. So she hides them on top of this roof. And, and I think at this moment, Rahab realized that she was not bound by her past, but that she had a future free from her past because of the God that these men worshiped. And so here's the main idea. Go and get your pen out, paper out, write this down. Here's the main idea for today. Your past does not have the final word. Your past does not have the final word. You know, when I think of Rahab, at this moment, she realized her past did not have the final word. As she's reflecting on who Yahweh is, the, the people that these, these spies worship, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, she's going, okay, I know my past can be transformed. And I wonder as she's going through this, if she remembers the, the, the stories and, and the things that she heard about how even Adam and Eve, when they sinned, God covered their nakedness with, live, with fig leaves. And how when Cain killed his brother Abel, and God put a mark on Cain so that no one would kill Cain. And I wonder if she thought about Noah and how God brought de deliverance through Noah. And I wonder if she thought about Abraham and how he lied. And of course, Sarah, how she doubted. And though, God, though they did that, God fulfilled his promise and brought Isaac. I wonder if she thought about Lot and how Lot was in Sodom and Gomorrah and how God saved Lot from the destruction of the city. I wonder if she thought about Jacob and Esau when they're split over a birthright. Come on, y'all split over a birthright, and God unites the two back together. I wonder if she thought about Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, betrayed. And God exalts Joseph to the highest level in favor of Pharaoh. I wonder if she thought about Moses. And when Moses said, I have a stuttering problem, why would you send me to speak? God, why would you send me? God, these people are, are, are upset with me. God, what am I gonna do with these people? And yet God provided and protected the Israelites all the way through their journey, all the way up to this moment at Jericho. I wonder if she heard about this God who can take people's past and turn them into miracles. She realized at this moment that there's a God that she could trust her past with and that when she trusts her past with this God, that he could transform it and make it into something that we can never fathom or imagine in our lives. And so here's what I want us to do today. I want to see three reasons why we could trust God with our past. And here's the first one. You ready for this? All right, here we go. God covers our past with his grace. God covers our past with his grace. So look with me, Joshua chapter 2, uh, verse Eight says this, as before the men fell asleep, uh, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that the terror of you has fallen on us. And everyone who lives in the land is panicking because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og and the two Ammonite kings you completely destroyed across the Jordan. And when we heard this, we lost heart. And everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. 
Now please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a, a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, sisters, and all who belong to them and save us from death. Now, right here, we see her making this public proclamation, right? She's saying that I believe in God. In fact, you see this. She says, for the, she calls, she says this, for the Lord your God is God in heaven and on earth, right? So here she is. She's hearing about the stories of God, how they brought them through the Red Sea. She says, I believe in that God and the one that you worship. I believe in him. What perfectly sets up verse 12 when she says this, swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family's household. And so we see her proclaiming with her mouth, I believe in Yahweh. I believe in the God that you worship. Will you show kindness to my family? Will you show kindness to my mother, my father, my brothers, and my sisters? And at this moment, what we're seeing is this idea of a covenantal promise, right? That, that if, okay, if, if I put my faith in you, if I put my trust in you, will you, will you make a covenant with me? that you will save my family from the destruction you will bring on Jericho. She knew this was coming. And so she proclaims it with her mouth. She says, I've, I've heard what you can do. It's created much fear among our people. In fact, I have fear for you and I believe in you that you can do what you say you can do. It's so kindness to my family. What we read in Joshua 2, verse 17 through 18, it says this, says, uh, we, this is the spy speaking, we will be free from this oath made, uh, that you made with us, swear, unless when we enter the land, you tie this scarlet cord to the window through which you let us down. Bring your father, mother, brothers, and, and your family, father's family into your house. And so they say, look, we'll keep this promise. God will save you from the destruction if you put this scarlet robe out the window and bring all your family into this house. Now, this is an important moment, y'all, that this scarlet robe as it's being hung out the window is a covering, as a promise from God saying that he would persevere, that he would take them out and they would not experience the destruction of Jericho, that they would be saved from his judgment. Now, let's travel backwards. You go back to Exodus, you look back at Egypt and what God was going to bring his judgment on Egypt. And God said, look, I will protect my people Israel. How? I want all of you to take the blood of the lamb. I want you to rub it on your doorpost and that blood will cover you, symbolically cover you from my judgment. And here again, we see it with Rahab that the scarlet robe was a covering, God's covering over her family from the judgment that he was bringing on Jericho. But the story gets better, right? Because we know the end of the story because we have the full revelation of God. And so we know that later in history, again, God covers his people through one man sent into the world, through one man, the whole world has a way to be saved and his name is Jesus Christ. And Jesus was sent to live a life that we were supposed to live perfectly. He died the death that we deserve. He rose three days later triumphantly. And it's by his blood that we are covered. It's by his death that we've been set free, church. In fact, Paul says this, oh, this is just, you think that's an amen, just listen to this, guys. Holy smokes. Right here, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, my favorite verse. I love this. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that being Jesus, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Do you catch that? That just like how in, in Egypt, they covered the doorposts with the blood of a lamb and they were saved from the wrath of God. Again, in, in, in Jericho, with the scarlet robe out the window, covering the family of Rahab from the judgment of God upon Jericho. Again, here we are with Jesus Christ through his blood and sacrifice on the cross. We have been covered by Jesus and his righteousness. So that when God sees us, church, Guess what he sees? He sees the righteousness of Jesus. He doesn't see our ugliness, our filthiness, our sinfulness. He sees the beautiful and the wonderful righteousness of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I'm getting a little riled up because I think the enemy does a really good job at telling us a bunch of lies. You're worthless. You're no good. You remember your past? You're horrible. But yet Jesus says, you're redeemed, you're chosen, you're adopted, you're my child, you're my son, you're my daughter. He didn't see our filthiness, he just sees the beautiful righteousness of Jesus. And God has a record in the Bible of saying, he creates beauty from ashes. He takes your life that you thought you had nothing to offer and he takes it and he makes it wonderful. Here's the second thing. God engrafts us into his family. So not only does God cover us with, with our, cover our past with his grace, God engrafts us into a new family, into a new family. Look at Joshua chapter six with me. Joshua chapter six, verses 22 through 23. It says, Joshua said to the men, two men who had scouted out the land, go to the prostitute's house and bring the women out of there and all who are with her just as you swore to her. So the young men who had scouted out went in and brought out Rahab and her father, mother, brothers, and all who belonged to her. They brought out her, fam her whole family and settled them outside the camp of Israel. Do you see this beautiful picture here? This woman who was once a prostitute, now a proselyte. Now she is walking with God. She's put her faith and trust in God. And God's taken her out of the dark and corrupt city of Jericho and placing her right outside the camp of Israel. She's now a part of the family. She's been engrafted into the family. You know, when I think of this, I think of adoption videos. Y'all ever seen those adoption videos online where they're, they're opening the paperwork and they're finding out they've been legally adopted into the family? You know, there's not many things that make me cry in the world. I mean, there's, there, I do cry, don't worry, I'm a human, right? Uh, but but there, a lot of times I hold it back, but I can't really hold it back when I'm watching these videos. And I don't know what it is. I don't know if it just reminds me that, that God has adopted me into his family. But at this moment, when you see this adoption, as they're reading the paperwork and they're going, Oh my gosh, you know, I had no family. I had nowhere I was going to go. And now this family's taking me in. What did I do to deserve this? And you see these kids opening up the paperwork and they're just bawling their eyes out in tears that a family would take someone like them. And I wonder if this is how Rahab felt as she was being removed from the dark city of Jericho and being placed into the light right outside the Israelite camp. See, once you put your hope and trust in Christ, you're made right and you're adopted into his family. He places you in his family. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. And there's no going back. John chapter 1 verse 12 says this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
He, became, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a status change. They were no longer children of the darkness. They were now children of the light. They were no longer children of the enemy, but now we're children of God. And now we live with him who's able to take our past and transform it into a future, into a future that we could far, that we could never imagine, a future where he's unraveling. It's also a change in condition as he places his Holy Spirit in our lives. Ephesians 1.13 says this, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise, Holy Spirit. So not only has your status changed from being a child of the darkness into a child of life, from the child of an enemy to the child of God, but then your condition has changed as God has placed his Holy Spirit within you. And he empowers you for everything that you need. He's the seal of your salvation. I mean, there's no going back, baby. There's no going back that when those papers are signed and the deal's done and you cry your tears of joy because you're in the, the house of the Lord, you're in the house of the Father, you're his son, you're his daughter. There's no going back because you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, have you been sealed, but it's also a guarantee of your inheritance in heaven. That what is coming is a guarantee because he has placed a deposit in your life. And so when the enemy comes walking around and trying to remind you of your past, remember that God's grace covers your past. Remember that you've been engrafted into his family. You're now a son and a daughter and there is no going back. The last one we see here is that God transforms our past into a fruitful future. God transforms our past into a fruitful future. Now, in order to see this, we have to travel back or travel forward to the New Testament. Okay, so Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, and I want, I want to read this to you. This is great. This is where everything comes together. Solomon fathered Boaz by Rahab. Boaz fathered Obed by Ruth. And Obed fathered Jesse and Jesse King David. Now, Solomon is the, is the husband to, to Rahab. Rahab marries this man, and this man, as you track the lineage all the way through, Solomon to Boaz, Boaz to Obed, Ruth to Obed to Jesse, to Jesse to King David. And I want you to do this with me just real quick. Let's do an audience participation together. You ready for this? I want you to take your finger out, a little pointer. I want you to take it down, and I want you to scan all the way down to verse 16. And Jacob fathered Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who is called Christ. Church, our past has no hold on us. Our past has no hold. It does not dictate where we're going in the future. When we put our hope and trust in and Jesus and we allow him to guide us in our life, he takes our past and makes it into a fruitful future. See, we see with Rahab throughout the New Testament that her righteousness, that her, that her faith was counted as righteousness. In fact, when you look at James, James talks about the way that she lived out her life, that her works demonstrated her faith. Now, I want you to hear me loud and clear. Our works do not save us. It's only grace and faith in Christ that saves us, but our works is a byproduct of that saving grace in our lives. Just like you don't read the Bible to earn God's favor, you're reading the Bible because you've experienced God's favor. 
right? And so we see Rahab here not only just believing, but also living it out in her life, the faith that she has in God and God as she's walking with him daily, reading and, and, and being devoted to him. He's taking her life and transforming it. And we see this, that it turns into a fruitful future and that out of the line of David, just as Isaiah prophesied, that out of the line of David, there would come a savior who would come and provide the way for all mankind to be covered by the righteousness of Jesus if they accept the invitation to follow Jesus. See, God transformed her life into a fruitful future. So if you ever question if God could take your past and do something with it, just remember Rahab. Because here's a woman who started off in her life as a prostitute, had no way out, had no way, really her life should have just continued the way it was in the dark city of Jericho. But then God sent two spies into Jericho to a specific location. And she found out that from the tribe of Israel, the God of Yahweh, she puts her faith and trust in God. God takes her life, transforms it by bringing her into the family, adopting her into the family and giving her a fruitful future. And out of her lineage, out of her line comes Jesus Christ. See, God wants to do the same thing in your life today. Many of you walk in here, you got past that you're trying to run from, trying to escape from. You've been coming in here going, man, if I could just hear the one song, if I could just hear that one song, then, then I'll feel great and then I'll feel liberated and I'll go home. Or if Pastor Craig, if he could show up and give me a fiery sermon, oh, I'm ready to go. But I'm telling you right now, and I've said this over and over again, it's not the song, it's not the preaching. It is the person of Jesus Christ that could transform your life. So stop running and all these different things into drugs and alcohol and speakers and music and you keep running to all this stuff think it's going to transform your life when Jesus all along just keeps saying follow me follow me turn from your old life and put on the new life follow me and he still gives you that same call today to turn from your past that doesn't mean that the consequences of your past won't come up and still bother you but it's freedom from the bondage of even having to even think about, okay, is that weighing me down? No, I'm turning it over to Jesus who says, all who are weary come to him and lay the burdens at his feet. We don't have to carry it anymore, church. So when you come in here every Sunday and you're looking for the song, you're looking for some type of crutch, take up Jesus, follow Jesus because he's the one who is covered your past with his grace. He's the one who makes it possible for you to be engrafted into the family of God. And he's the one who transforms your past into a fruitful future. Would you bow your heads with me? Now, I know some of you in here are probably coming from a past that honestly is weighing you down right now. As you're sitting in the seat, you feel like, man, it's just, it's just pressure. It's just this heavy burden on my shoulders, man. I just can't escape my past. It keeps creeping up. It keeps coming back. And so what I want to do is I just want to spend the last couple minutes here giving a time for the Lord to minister to you, for Jesus to minister to your heart right now. So I want you just to do a self-examination of your life. Are you allowing the past to weigh you down? Are you allowing sin or even the anxious, anxious, anxiousness of, of the afterlife to weigh you down? Is that you this morning? 
people. What I wanna do is I just want to give an opportunity for me to pray for you. It's not prayer salvation. This is just simply a prayer of surrender to God saying, look, I've been trying to carry this on my own and I'm ready to give it to you, Jesus. And so if that's you this morning, if you're here and you say, hey, look, I, I've been trying to carry this on my own. I've been trying to come in here. And I thought that, man, if I just came to church enough, I would be relieved of this burden. If that's you this morning and you would like for me to pray for you and a surrender of that to Jesus, I just want you to slip your hand up. No one's looking. Just put your hand up. Say, Cameron, I, wanna, I just want you to pray for me. Just slip your hand up in there. Just pray for me this morning. My past is, thank you, I see you. My past is, is weighing on me. Anybody else? Prayers a surrender, just surrendering it to God. Just put your hand up in there. Thank you. All right, well, let me pray for you real quick. Father, you see the hands in this crowd. God, you see the people, God, who are hurting, who are burdened with their past. And so, God, we come before you and we lay these at your feet and say, God, would you, just as you did in Rahab, just as you did in the people that we've studied in this sermon series, God, would you transform our past? May we experience the renewal and the refreshing presence of you in our lives. God, that we may live for you, that we may experience the full liberating truth, God, that you have provided a way for us to be right with God. God, we surrender our past. God, we surrender our burdens to you and we lay them at your feet, God. And so, God, as we walk out this door, God, may it not follow us, but God, may we walk out as changed people, God, people who have been transformed, people whose past have been covered with your grace, people who've been engrafted into the family and people who have a fruitful future because of you, Jesus. So I pray all of us in this room today would walk out with a fresh, renewing vision, God, that you have provided a life that is fruitful, that is covered by your grace that we don't even deserve. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen.